Welcome to Everything Fast Pitch, presented by Fast Pitch Prep. Here with Coach Don McKinley, I'm Coach Tori Atchison. Everything Fast Pitch is your place to hear all about the great game of fast pitch softball. Recruiting, fast pitch politics, fast pitch opinion, college news, travel ball news, coaching tips and ideas are all on the agenda. Coach Don and I are here tonight, uh, ready to uh, crank up another uh, uh, topic. Now that we're uh, heading into the start of the college softball season, um, a lot of interesting things going on in the world of softball, a lot of things that are... uh, um, very, very uh, exciting to see. And one of the things that uh, um, I wanted us to talk about tonight and something that I think is of real interest, um, hopefully to many, many people, is the whole topic of early recruiting. And so um, just to kind of give the whole thing a little bit of uh, uh, depth, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is a little bit uh, uh, to kick things off is a little bit of a history lesson for anybody who's not familiar. Once upon a time when uh, Coach Don and I got started in this business, recruiting was Basically, um, you found players when they were juniors and you tried to convince them to come and play for you and then they signed with you when they were seniors. And uh, I think uh, both of our programs, both of us as coaches, had a lot of success back in those days recruiting in that model. And then uh, about 15, 18 years ago, something really unusual happened and the whole phenomenon of early recruiting uh, started to take hold and really took off. Now, make no mistake about it, back in the early days when we found players as juniors and then signed them when they were seniors, there was still the exceptional player who picked a school early and a school that decided that uh, a young player was worthy of committing to it at a young age. You know, the the famous one is Jenny Finch, knew she was going to be a uh, uh, player at the University of Arizona when she was a freshman in high school. Um, but it was definitely an oddity more than a regular regular occurrence back then. And then, uh, like I said, about 15, 18 years ago, um, the momentum switched and uh, the uh, idea of recruiting much younger players started to take hold. And... Uh, there's different theories about who uh, were, were the initial schools to really start to push the momentum. Um, but uh, really, no matter who gets the credit or who gets the blame for the uh, push towards early recruiting, um, now we are seeing things uh, happening where players are being recruited at a much younger age. Um, and uh, recently, as young as seventh and sixth graders, uh, so kids that are still you know five, six years away from being college freshmen are, are now committing uh, to play college softball and uh, and uh, really pushing the uh, envelope for how early is early in the early recruiting discussion. So, Don, what do you think about the whole topic? No, it's a, a evolving piece that uh, is very frustrating. I feel, and I think the pressure on parents and players and families to try and make choices that early is, uh, you know not ideal by any stretch and these kids don't know what they want to do when they're done university so they don't know which schools are going to be you know most suited for them academically and uh you know it's it's more about you know picking that big school as soon as you can and and then holding tight but i think there's a lot of issues that that come up even after uh, we make those commitments in regards to our training and um, you know how much we put forth towards travel ball and 
the coaching that we end up being exposed to or not exposed to because we've already made that choice. Right. I think that can be really tough. Well, well, here, here's my idea for, for this discussion. So uh, we're going to do a little history. We're going to talk a little bit about how we got to where we're at. We're going to talk about the vote that came out of the NFCA convention, which I find to be extremely interesting and, and something that uh, um, I think is definitely worthy of discussion. And then kind of what I would like to do is to kind of go down the list and talk about what people are perceiving as the negatives to early recruiting and then kind of take a deep dive into some of those and uh, look at in depth a little bit more um, how negative or how positive some of those circumstances could really potentially be um my, my philosophy is that uh, things are not as clear-cut as they seem to be and i think that there's uh, with anything there's always uh two sides to the coin and two sides to any any discussion and so thought that that would be an interesting way for us to look at it and uh and see if we can't uh, dig a little bit deeper so but we uh, so we talked about the history a little bit already and obviously um recruiting has changed drastically um you know back when we recruited players when they were juniors and then they would decide when they were seniors the process would kind of unfold in a uh, pretty systematic and, and pretty straightforward way um that summer of your junior year was a big year uh, for players in the recruiting game. Um, Everybody would wait around until July 1st because July 1st was the first date that college coaches could call uh, players. And for many players and and many families, that July 1st uh, first opportunity to talk to players was a big deal. That was sort of like the, um, you know, the start of the race. And if a coach called you on July 1st or if a, a coach hung around to talk to you after July 1st when a tournament was done that was really exciting for players and parents Um, i can remember um, flying home from colorado which is always the the big tournament where the first of july would pass and sitting at the airport and of course this will tell you how old i am at the payphone with my long distance card um, trying to call as many of the kids that were on my wish list as i possibly could um, before i got on that plane to come home from colorado just to make sure that they knew that i wanted to talk to them and and to kind of get the process moving forward and so july 1st was a big deal and then after that you you would have fairly constant contact that the coach was initiating the coach would be calling Um, and and i think it was another thing that sent a very clear message if a player was getting a phone call from you every week think then they again gained more excitement and and it gained more momentum for them because they knew that was a pretty clear sign that you were really indicate really clear indicator that you were very interested in them um then we would head into the fall season. Of course, down here in Georgia, that meant the fall high school season. Um, for other uh, other parts of the country, it would mean their off season. You know, for some kids, it might have meant volleyball season or or whatever it was. Um, but uh, during that fall. Um, at the end of the junior year, um, heading into the senior year was when we would um, arrange for visits and and really get to know the kids that we were going to recruit. Um, Back then, the official visit happened sometime after the start of the school year of their senior year, which would be the fall season for the college programs. And uh, that was the next big step. And I'm sure you can remember how exciting it was for kids when they would come for that official visit. That was a big deal, and I was excited for them, and they got to choose, I think, five schools to take their official visit with, <clears throat> and they uh, they got they got 
pretty wound up in that. And when they went to visit those schools, they were, uh, you know, made to feel very special. And I thought that was, uh, you know, a, a neat thing to work towards and a neat thing to look forward to and um, to be a part of and for those schools to uh, to share with the kids. Yeah. And the, and the other thing I thought, you know, sort of as a counterpoint, you know, obviously a, a player who was invited for an official visit knew that a school was extremely interested in them. Uh, but it also was a way for you as a recruiter to know that a player was legitimately interested in you because they only had five visits. Um, most kids uh, would be selective in which schools they would visit. You know, they didn't want to use up a visit on a school they were not really interested in uh, because, you know, with the limitation on the number of times that they could visit, um, they, they were a little bit more, uh, more I guess, discerning in, in, in spending their time making that visit. Absolutely. And that, uh, you know, that even got down to who they would visit last and, you know, you know, what order they would see them in. And um, it was just a very neat thing for them to, to work towards and look forward to. Right. And then typically, you know, back then and, and still currently, there was the early signing period in November. Um, so um, kids would come and visit. And then typically, if you really if a college coach really liked a player, um, usually on the official visit, if, if not all, you know, already in the conversations, leading up to that official visit um, scholarship offers were made and and uh, and honestly deadlines would be set typically because the signing period in November was the target that I think a lot of uh, people shot for they wanted to um, move to uh, make a decision and be able to say that their you know, decision was made uh, at, at the time of the early signing period so um, then they would sign in November and Back then, that was ironclad, meant that that was the done deal. They were absolutely coming to your school, um, and, and that uh, scholarship was legally binding. Um, now, we'll talk about the scholarships and when it becomes legally binding in this whole verbal commitment thing a little bit more, um, but the, the time frame was pretty consistent. I think kids, coaches, players, everybody sort of works on the same timeline, Um and, uh, you know, you certainly watched younger players, but the pressure wasn't so much on the college coaches to evaluate really young players as much as it was to significantly invest in the players that they were most interested in um, that were hopefully going to be making a decision here pretty soon and signing in the fall. And so that was the the model for the longest time. And, and uh, like I said before, for, for my coaching career, that was when I was most successful. And I know, uh, you know when you were uh, with uh, Coach Scott and, and winning national championships at KSU, um, that was pretty much the model that you guys worked from too. No, absolutely. That was... Uh that was then, and it's all changing now. Yeah. Well, and so how has it changed? For anybody who's not familiar, um, as we said before, about 18 years ago, um, the move started to push faster and faster towards kids at a younger age being offered scholarships. Now, one of the questions that always comes up is, because the rule about when a college coach can call a player has not changed that much. Um, it used to be July 1st before your senior year. Now it's September 1st of your junior year year. So college coaches cannot call players earlier than that. So one of the questions is, well, if a coach can't contact a player, how do they know that a coach is interested? How do they know that a coach wants to offer them a scholarship in a way that they could commit at an earlier age? And uh, um, like anything else uh, where people want to find a loophole or find a way to work through or, or around a rule, um, you know, there's a really simple way for that to happen because players are allowed to call college coaches. A player or her parents 
can uh, call a college coach at any time at any age there's no limitation and if that coach answers the phone and and is talking to sally and sally's mom and dad on the phone um, they can talk about anything if a player visits a school on an unofficial visit which can happen at any time once they're on campus a college coach can talk to them about anything they want including scholarship offers and and those kinds of things and so um, what ended up happening in my opinion, was uh, travel ball coaches and in some cases high school coaches sort of became agents as much as they were coaches. And uh, college coaches were using them as a way to facilitate communication. So, you know, a coach, a college coach would contact a travel ball coach and say, okay, we really like Sally. You know, she's a great shortstop and we think she's a great player, yada, yada, yada. Um, You know, I can't call her, but I would really love to talk to her about my school. So could you ask her to call me? And then typically, you know, depending upon the school and how interested that player is, you know, that player and parent is usually very excited to have that information and to make that phone call. And so um, slowly but surely, it just kept gaining momentum where you know that college coach was asking that travel ball coach to set up that conversation, to set up that uh, communication. And before you know it, it was juniors, then it was sophomores, then it was freshmen, and now it's middle schoolers. Um, and uh, while we all talk about how crazy that is, um, I think there's some reasons why that has developed that way. Yeah, no, it's uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it's uh, you know a tough a tough thing for everybody to have to work through. But um, many really don't know how all that stuff works, and and that really answered a lot of those questions, Tori. That. Uh, you know, contacting the college coach is is the method everybody's using, and everyone else is feeling pressure to do the same. Right. So I've got tons of students that are like, "Well, how did she get that opportunity to you know visit with the coaches at that university?" And uh, it's it's all about contacting them now, being at their camp and clinic. Um, you know, finding the the networking angle through. Uh, your travel ball coach or high school coach uh, or middle school coach, right? But right. Um, yeah, no, the early contact thing is is uh, what it's all about. Right. And it's, uh, it's one of those uh, situations that to me, I, I find it to be frustrating in, in a lot of ways. Because um, even though through our discussion tonight, we're going to talk about some reasons why I'm not so sure that early recruiting is as evil as everybody thinks it is. But for the most part, the vast majority of people that you talk to talk about early recruiting like it's the scourge of all things. It's the worst thing that ever happened. You know, it's so terrible. It's so stupid. It's so ridiculous. Um, You know, we just had the situation here uh, very recently where a sixth grader from the state of Georgia, um, who I I know who she is and familiar with her skills. She's a very talented sixth grader committed to the University of Florida. And, you know, that went out on Facebook and, and, you know, social media and, and people went wild about how crazy that is. And that's just too young. And it's just, you know, stupid that it's going on. Um, but the reality of it is, you know, an awful lot of people think it's really stupid. But if it's so stupid, then why are parents allowing their sixth grader to commit? And if it's really so stupid, why do college coaches keep making those offers? So um, so I think there's a lot of gnashing of teeth, but I'm not so sure that uh, um, that the people who are the most upset about it are the people that are necessarily in the trenches dealing with it as much as it is uh, players and families and, and coaches that are on the edge of it that 
wish they were getting offers when they were sixth graders instead of having to you know develop and become a, a more you know developed player or uh, or college coaches who wish that their program was such a great sell that the best sixth grader in the country would be dying to say yes to them at the drop of a hat so you know to me I think there's a little bit of, of uh, uh, human nature involved in why people are as frustrated as they are yeah and again that's uh you know, tough for the school as well to make sure that they're getting the very best athletes. And, you know, time changes kids, you know, the five, six years until they get to school. And some of them are going to, you know, plateau a little bit early and some are going to blossom late. And, um, you know, again, they're they're trying to get the very best athletes so that they can win each year. And obviously Florida's got the pressure on them to, uh, to make sure they stay ahead of the curve and, and continue to get the best players around. And, um, you know, unfortunately I think when things change and those kids don't develop or others do develop more, there's going to be a little bit of movement there. And that's probably what you're going to cover a little bit here. No, no doubt. So, all right. So let's get into the the reasons why people hate early recruiting. What are some of the presumed negatives? The reasons why, um, you know, when when people read about a sixth grader committing to Florida, they're all up in arms. So um, first one I thought about is that, uh, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, is that uh, players are just too young to know what they want to do with the rest of their life, with their career, with uh, making, you know, they're just too young to know. So what do you think about that one well if uh if mom and dad have a really good thought about what they're excited for their uh, kids to study that uh that might be something they can choose when they're that young but most 95 percent of the kids that uh that we work through even even the older ones in high school ask you know what is it you're interested in doing they're like well i'm not sure and most of them want to play softball, but right. We're going to play softball and maybe go to school. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they, they got to have a, a little bit of direction there. And obviously the choice they make in the school is going to have an impact in what kind of educational uh, direction they head. And if they're going to be the engineer or the doctor or any of those pieces, it's going to be important to uh, make that part of your, your choice. And some of them are, are limited. The forensic programs, the, um, you know, obviously the the doctors and lawyers and, and other things that uh, might be more school specific are going to have to be part of their choice. So, um, you know, I, I just feel like that's that's a tough thing that early. Not to say that you can't change if they commit at that young age. It doesn't mean that's where they're locked into. And. Um, that can be part of it too, right? Well, the the, the first point that you made that I think is worth uh, really getting into is that they're too young to know what they want to do with the rest of their lives, and and I agree wholeheartedly that a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grader really has no idea what they want to do, and so that argument at face value does hold a lot of weight, and I think it does make a lot of sense, um, but there's an alternative point of view that I think people should also be considering. And that is that typically high school seniors don't know what they want to study any more than an eighth grader, seventh grader, or sixth grader does. The vast majority of them at 17 have no idea what they really want to do, just like they didn't know when they were 15 and they didn't know when they were 13. So I'm not so sure that just the age of the players involved um, really changes that or solves that in any way, shape, or form. I'm, I'm starting to really think more and more as I think about it that uh, 
um, the age of the players and uh, the age at which they are making this commitment um, just doesn't really hold water when we talk about academics only. Um, and my experience is, you know, I, I coached 30 years at the college level, and I'd be willing to bet that maybe 25% of the kids that I coached Kept graduated major. Yeah, yeah. graduated with the major <laughs> that they thought they were going to graduate in when they started as freshmen. Um, I'd say, you know, if 20, maybe 25% started as a nursing major and ended as a Kept nursing it. major. Yeah, yeah. Um, 25% started as an education major and then actually ended up being a teacher. But I'd say probably at least 25% changed majors more than once. And the other 50% in the middle changed once. So, um, so that I, that that argument, I, I at face value, I agree with it, and I think that it is um, asking players and parents uh, to take a leap of faith about their academic future. But I'm not so sure that uh, just the age of the player is going to solve that problem because I know an awful lot of um, uh, 17-year-olds or 19-year-olds who really didn't know what they wanted to study either and so um to me i think that that's um the first one that i wanted us to think about both sides of it i certainly still think it's more likely that an older person's going to have an idea of what they want to study um but i'm not 100 percent sure that that's but if you're going to be an architect or an engineer and you find you like math then you might change your choice you know as a an older athlete but right yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the second one is that players this young have no life experience. They don't know how to make an important decision. So what do you think about that one? <laughs> so, I mean, the 11, 12 year olds? Yeah, the 13, yeah. 14, 15 year olds. They're, they're too young to, to you know, be involved in making an important decision. What do you think about that idea? Because you've got your daughters are 8 and 10. 8 and 10. So. You're a couple years away from potentially making them make a choice. Making them make a choice. If yeah. if uh, your older daughter was a softball prodigy or a violin prodigy or a, you got to decide now, you know, kid. She'd have to decide now. So, um, you know, they they pro- offered. We have to. Yeah, we have to so, decide. Yeah. So so project a couple years ahead. How how prepared do you think uh, young players are uh, for making important life decisions? Well, I think that uh, I think that it's it's more about some of these families and and. People hoping not to miss out on a special opportunity, which is really what it is. When some of those top-tier schools make an offer and and it feels like the right thing, you feel like you have to make a choice because they're going to offer it to somebody else if you don't take it. And uh, you know, you can only hope, or my hope would be that we continue to be the top the top kid if we're going to the top school. Because if we're not the top kid when we're actually ready to go to school, then they might still pass on me. And knowing what we know, that uh, you know, as much as those schools want to continue to honor this early commitment, there's no obligation to them to to keep it. No, so absolutely. I, so I might end up passing up on a whole bunch of other opportunities if my skills don't continue to maintain my top ranking. Right. Per se, I might still be very, very, very good, but if I'm not the best one, then I'm still not going to get that. You know, I'm not going to get that on signing date. So. Um, and I don't want to go somewhere either. I don't want my daughter to go somewhere that um, she's not going to be able to be a, a comfortable, productive part of that team. Right. Just just because I made that choice when she was 12. Right. Well, and I agree with that also. But again, uh, playing devil's advocate, here's, here's something I think we also should be 
be considering as we as we discuss this because yeah i agree that uh, the typical 12 13 year old has no life experiences they have no idea about making an important decision um, and to think that they do is crazy now, I think that many parents think that they're in a position to make important life decisions for their 13 or 14-year-old and will encourage it and push it and, of course, then act like, well, she's always wanted to be a gator or she's always wanted to be a dog or she's always wanted to be a Spartan or whatever it is. Um, but when it comes to the idea that young players are not prepared to make big, important decisions, I've got another dose of reality. 17-year-olds aren't any more prepared to make an important decision than a 13-year-old is. Not anymore. And let me just delve into my uh, uh, old man, hey, you get off my lawn, uh, crabby old man rant. But once upon a time, when a kid was 15, if she wanted to have or he wanted to have a little bit of money to spend, they got a job. And if that job meant they had to make choices about what else they could do or couldn't do or wanted to do or whatever, then they had to make those choices. And on and on and on throughout your life when you were 15, 16, 17, you had to make decisions. I had my first job when I was 15 years old because I wanted to have some money of my own in my pocket that I could spend, which meant that I had less time to spend messing around with my friends. So what's the reason for this rant? The kids of this generation never are faced with those kind or very rarely are faced with those kinds of decisions because mom and dad will do whatever it takes to protect them from reality they will protect them from every harsh decision if that means dad never gets a new car means mom never gets to go on vacation it means that somebody's working an extra job or adding an extra shift or taking on extra work they do whatever they have to do to keep their little baby from having to make any kinds of hard choices the kids yeah I, i don't see anybody that i deal with asking their kids to do anything make a value any kind of valuable important decision about anything in their lives they are bending over backwards to protect their kids from ever having to be disappointed and thus ever having to make an important decision so what do you think about that argument that's pretty tough yeah but i think times excuse me times are changing and we are a, a coddling um I guess culture, and we uh, we go over the top, just like you said. Yeah, that's, and that's and again, I, and I mean, I love my son as much as a person can love anything. I mean, if uh, if my son needed a kidney, I'd give him mine in a heartbeat. If he needed a heart transplant, I'd give him mine, and I wouldn't even think twice about it. That's what we do for our kids. But I think that when we have this discussion about how evil early recruiting is. The idea that a 17-year-old is in this day and age is going to have faced all these important life decisions that now has them prepared to make this one, I think that's a stretch, to say the least. Um, and the thing about it is, I mean, I honestly do believe this might be the most important decision that we ever make, because I think for most kids, where they choose to go to school is going to change everything about their lives. You know, most people find their soulmate when they go to college. Most people sure. figure out what their career is going to be when they go to college. So um, I do think it's a huge decision, but I, I'm, I'm skeptical about the idea that a 17-year-old is somehow infinitely more prepared than a 15-year-old to make that decision. 
So as we as we move on with this, then uh, the best thing that we can do is make sure that we're educated. We understand all the ins and outs and the process and timelines and all the pieces that are important, so that we can uh, at least help advise these these student athletes that we're coming in contact with and. Uh, you know, help them to make the best choices they can. Right. Oh, no, there's no doubt about that. So um, so the next one that comes up all the time about uh, why early recruiting is so terrible is what about the late bloomer? What about that kid that's a late developer? So what do you think about that one? Well, I think that they're, uh, they're, they're going to definitely have opportunities, and it uh, doesn't matter what school it is. If, if you're hitting a ton or if you're throwing 74 miles an hour, you're going to have an impact and you're going to have a, a chance to sneak past some of these early recruits. So somebody is, you know, committed as a freshman, you know, slated to pitch at University X, the big school, and uh, and they come across this player that's, that's, you know, come across their potential and skill a little bit later in the game. But before they go to college, they're definitely going to have opportunity and they might even pass on somebody that – you know they've committed too early right well my, my take on it is is i do believe especially um in our sport that um there are going to be players that are astronomically better as they get a little bit older they learn a little bit more they grow a little bit more they you know they they hit maturity um they, you know their body changes they grow whatever it is that you know they get stronger um that uh, that changes their place i guess for lack of a better nicer way to say it than you know, their place in the recruiting food chain you know they uh mm-hmm. um, started off you know they were that uh, minnow and all of a sudden now they're the you know they're the great white shark swimming around in the ocean that uh, everybody noticed um, and so to me, I think that there is um, reason for people to think of early recruiting in a negative light when we talk about the development of players and um, and when they are going to reach their true potential. Um, but uh, the other side of it is um, I think that, as you mentioned, that because offers and early commitments and early recruiting promises are really not legally binding that for that late bloomer the player that does develop a little bit later um, that that they still are going to have many many opportunities and honestly sometimes just as many opportunities as some of the big schools you know one of the things that you know that we talked about um, earlier is you know this idea that if i don't jump in now i'm going to get left behind um once upon a time, that might have had a little bit more validity than it does now. But we see players decommitting and we see coaches dropping players at a record-breaking pace now. Um, and because of that, I think that uh, um, that player that does develop later uh, still has an opportunity to play at a very high level and to still be recruited um, as long as they keep doing all the right things and keep working really hard. So, um, so I do think that uh, uh, the late bloomer might feel at the beginning like they're at a disadvantage um, that player that's a little bit smaller or a little bit weaker at a younger age um, might feel that it's hurt them um, but I don't think it's ruined their opportunities I think it's just put them on a different timeline so even if you're a sophomore or possibly even a freshman and all the big schools are uh, committed out for your class that doesn't mean you should let off or let up means you dig in a little bit harder and sneak past some of them right and there there, there's also too a cutoff on on the level of schools that are getting all these early commits 
you know, that some of the mid-level schools, they still have a lot of opportunities for players um, as sophomores or juniors. Um, and they're not going all the way as deep as a freshman class to, to get early commitments. Right. Well, and uh, one of the things we talk about in our recruiting seminar, and uh, I would recommend uh, that uh, anybody that's interested in learning more about the whole process um, take some time to attend one of our recruiting seminars. But one of the uh, examples we use is, and, and the discussions that we have, is that a player should give up on the school they really want to go to when they start school someplace else. If there's a school that that you really want and that you really believe is the right school for you, um, I don't think a player should ever give up on chasing that dream because you never know what could happen and when an opportunity could present itself at that school. And so uh, for those of you that are, are worried about the poor late bloomers in this process, here's what I would tell them to do, to keep sending the emails, keep sending the schedules, keep asking those coaches to come, keep contacting those coaches and wear them out until you get to the point where the only option you have is to start school someplace else. Then I think you can close the door. But until then, um, I think you should keep right on grinding and keep on digging because that opportunity could still present itself. And and to me, um, being that uh, active player, that person that does keep digging is is going to keep the, the door open. So, um, so the late bloomers keep digging i don't think you really should be as panicked as as some of you um are um just because somebody else in your class has gotten a commitment or gotten a scholarship offer does not mean that uh, that your life is over um, and i think that uh, the perception that somehow the train has left the station and you didn't get a chance to get on it um it might seem true that day but what do we know about the train it comes back through every day and if it didn't stop today, it's not a chance to stop tomorrow. And if it doesn't stop tomorrow, it might stop next week. So um, so the next one is that this whole pressure of early recruiting is forcing players and their families to do too much too early. Camps, clinics, lessons, travel ball. What do you think? Wow. Um, I think that uh, there's so much to be done and so much to be seen that I don't, I don't feel like we can really start too early on that. And um, I think a lot of times people are making choices before they've actually seen a lot of the campuses that they've seen and have uh, a little bit of interaction with some of the coaching staffs at the schools that they might consider. Uh, so I don't. I, I think that time is limited between um, you know the start and finish of the whole recruiting timeline, and uh, for them to get going early is good. I mean, everybody's got to find a happy balance for their for their kids, and often you can take a look in their eyes and see if they're excited or hungry about more softball activity, or if they're uh, you know starting to drag because we're doing too much. But right, well, my my take on it, Don, to be honest with you, is, is I think that one of the uh, reasons why people have this feeling is I think that they see these opportunities to do some of the things that they're doing from the wrong perspective. I think that, you know, I hear this all the time. Well, she has to go to the Florida camp already because, or she's got to go to the Georgia camp already because, or she's got to go to the Kentucky camp or whatever it is, because we're looking at it as going to these things has to be a recruiting thing that leads to some sort of payoff. We see it as, um, uh, I'm only going to this camp because I want them to recruit me instead of seeing it as a chance to learn about the school, a chance to learn from those coaches, a chance to become a better player, a chance to have some fun. 
we don't know, do that. Do may, may, maybe meet some new players. Maybe all those kinds of things. And so I think this feeling that um, that as a family or as a player that I'm forced to do those things is a really screwed up perspective more than it is something that is a negative yeah no we gotta <clears throat> we gotta consider these camps as an opportunity to grow as an athlete and if it if it happens that we come across uh you know a coaching staff or a, a setting that we're really excited about then that's good too but uh, it might be an, another way to throw your drop ball you know might create a good drill for my rise yeah. Uh, and, and and just have a good experience learn learn something new i mean you know and, and you know just use florida as an example um you know my, my personal experience from talking to coach walton and, and getting to know him over the years is i think he's a really sharp person and knows this game really well if i was a young player and i had a chance to have him talk to me about my hitting or you know show me something about my defense or whatever it is whether he recruits me or not i'd be as happy as as a person could be um you know because of that opportunity to learn from those people and get some insight yeah yeah and and obviously the people that work on their staffs uh the players that are playing there um at some camps the coaches that uh come in to uh you know be guest instructors or whatever there's an awful lot of knowledge that a player can take advantage of so if someone's going to uh part of those experiences solely because um, they expect it to lead to a recruiting opportunity. I think they're missing the boat. And I think the same is true of travel ball. Um, now, you know, the, and travel ball is a wild card in this whole thing because honestly, you're not going to get recruited very often if you're not playing on you know, travel ball at, at a high enough level um, that uh, that it's going to be on coach's radar but the same thing could be true there could we not play travel ball once just because we want to play on a more competitive team or make some new friends or you know play higher competition or have a chance to travel you know we're, we're, it seems like everybody looks at these things like oh my god we have to go to Colorado sure well how about we go to Colorado, we play some softball, we go whitewater rafting, we go look in the mountains, maybe we see a mountain goat, maybe we see a elk, you know, maybe we throw a snowball at somebody in July and start to think about the fact that there's a lot of things about an opportunity like that um, that are not necessarily tied to the, oh my God, did I get a scholarship offer out of this or not? Sure. And I know uh, you mentioned even with the Florida the Florida piece, if, if that's considered one of the best, then uh, going and being a part of that camp because it's fun and it creates an opportunity for us to gauge or measure other camps and other staffs and other instructors. Yeah. And you might you might find that some of them are awfully good too. Yeah, and and you know just a, a qualifier. You know, my son is at the University of Florida right now working on his PhD. So I visited him down there, you know, seven eight times in the last year. And every time I walk around that campus, I see something that I didn't see before or learn something about the school from talking to him. And I think some of that can be part of what we're gaining, too. You know, Maybe for a player that all they know about the University of Florida is that they've seen them on TV, uh, on ESPN in the College World Series, would be served to have a chance to walk around on a campus that has 50,000 students. Yeah. And maybe you figure out that, well, maybe that's a little too big for me, seeing how it's... 49,000 more people than live in my town. Yeah, or if it's spread out or if it's really a, a dense, you know, a dense setting. Right, or an, or an urban campus or a country campus or a big school or a private school or whatever. So um, so this whole idea of I have to 
and we're forced to. I think we need to rethink that. If, you know, there's a, a saying I love. Um, uh, it was quoted by uh, uh, I've heard it from Brian Kane and and the mental game stuff that we do with uh, with Coach Carlisle, and that you have to change your have to to get to. And that too many people are, are caught up in everything being something that they have to do, and I have to go to practice. Well, how about I get to go to practice? Feels so much better. Yeah. yeah. I have to go to work. Well, how about I get to go to work? Feels so much better. Yeah. So so anyhow. So um, next one is uh, uh, the verbal commitments that these people are making aren't legally binding. So what's the use anyhow? Wow. Right. They. Uh they get you to commit to them and then a lot of things happen in time you take yourself kind of out of the out of the recruiting flow because you're off the market you're off the market so so you're already you know sitting back waiting for your time to go to school Uh, a lot of things happen coaches get job offers at other schools and or they age out and decide, hey, you know what? I think I might retire a little bit sooner. Yeah, yeah. Um, Co- coaches leave for lots of reasons. Yeah, my the coach's uh, spouse ends up getting a, a great career opportunity somewhere else, so they decide to you know either postpone their career and and move with them when they go. And a lot of times, uh, if not all the time, when the coach leaves, so does your early commitment. So that makes it a little bit uh, a little bit scary in uh, you know how secure that is. Right. Well, let's just uh, to make sure that everybody understands the verbal commitment is not signing a scholarship. It is not a legal document. It's not uh, as we talked before in, in the signing period when you actually sign a scholarship is legally binding. When you put your name on that piece of paper, you sign it. Your parents sign it, and it came from the school with all the right signatures on it. When you send it back, and that school receives it, that's legally binding. Everything that's promised in a verbal commitment, everything that a coach says, everything that the coach promises, everything that you believe to be true is nothing more in that verbal commitment than just what it sounds like. It's a handshake deal. It's a a hope so. It's a a promise but. And the but is a big thing that I think sometimes people lose track of. Now, we're going to spend a whole session talking about verbal commitment, so I don't want to get too deep into it. But just to make sure that anybody who's listening knows that there's a huge difference. When you sign the, uh, the scholarship and the National Letter of Intent, that is legally binding and that protects you and the school. When um, you make a verbal commitment, it is not legally binding and there is no legal um, teeth to it. If a coach promises you the sun, the moon, and the stars on Monday and a week later decides, wait a second, kid, I don't like you. Get out of here. You bother me. You've got nothing other than a week of thinking something that that coach didn't really mean or whatever so um so that's the whole thing with the you know what a verbal commitment really means and so um you know i think to me one of the reasons there's a lot of reasons i think why people are dying to commit and i think again that's a another topic um but because they aren't legally binding i think there is some real reason to think about how crucial is it to commit to something that doesn't really commit me to something or doesn't really commit them to me and uh you know we mentioned it briefly before but we know for sure that you know players and and more and more players recently are you know the word the the term decommit 
I had never heard of that um, until I read a book about football recruiting. And then I heard about decommit and soft commit and all these things that, you know, that sort of sound like a promise but don't really mean it. Um, and, uh, um, and schools drop players, and they drop players for a lot of different reasons. So um, the, the verbal commitment, is, because it is not legally binding, you know, as you mentioned, Don, taking yourself off the market is definitely something that every player should be thinking about before they make that commitment. No, it's a concern. I've, I've seen it a number of times uh, in all instance from not actually getting the scholarship they expected or wanted uh, to coaches retiring, to coaches leaving for other jobs and other schools, the athletic department at the at the school that they had committed to uh, want to help the coach, the incoming coach who has a whole following of athletes that they're excited to coach in college, and you know there's just not enough room for the previous commitments and the commitments that that coach coming in has. So. Uh, it, it becomes a pretty challenging, tough situation, and then you're scrambling. Right. And one of the things I think that is a major misunderstanding that a lot of people believe is that uh, when when I, as a player, make a verbal commitment, when my family and I commit to a school, that somehow that means that that commitment is there and it's ironclad and nothing can change. And I tell people all the time that the idea that a verbal commitment is absolute is absolutely not true now i think a lot of college coaches make those offers with absolutely good intentions good and, they, and yeah. they expect that it will happen um, but if a player gains 40 pounds if a player stops going to practice if a player quits playing competitive ball if a player gets in trouble in school if a player, knee. Yeah, has a has a major injury um, there's all kinds of things that can change how committed that coach can be to that promise. And I think that, that that's something that uh, um, is, a, is a two-edged sword. You know, sometimes I think what happens is players, they make that commitment, they think it means that they're protected no matter what, and, and they stop working. Oh, I've seen that a number of times too. They're digging, going, working, finally get the uh, opportunity to commit, then they're kind of halfway going, and they yeah. halfway travel ball, and they halfway all that stuff for a lot of reasons that, you know, again, too, might be legit, but uh, is the school still getting the best product that they could get? And are you the best player you could be? Uh, it's questionable for sure. Right. Well, and I think one of the things that sometimes people lose sight of, and I think it's easy for it to happen because we're talking about disappointing our kids and young people that we care about. And so the idea that a college coach could change their mind and yank that scholarship or reduce that scholarship seems so cold-blooded. But, uh, again, you know, my job tonight is to play devil's advocate. Um, you know, I, I would ask this question. Some of the people listening to this podcast – own businesses you know they're you know so, you know small businesses big businesses roofing companies um garages um you know startup uh, tech companies whatever it might be and there's a lot of people who are working really really hard to build that business and to do everything they can to you know make a successful business grow would you expect if that was your parent or if it's you you've got your company you've got seven employees and you're working your tail off and everything that you've you know invested into this business is hanging on the next employee you hire being great at their job and doing a great job and you find out before you hire them or shortly after you hire them hire them that they just cannot do it 
Are you going to keep them around because they're a nice person and, and keep paying them their salary even though it might cost you your business? It might put you in the poorhouse. might mean you've got to um, you know, make hard decisions about the rest of your life, maybe go broke, go bankrupt, lose your house. You're going to keep that person around just because you promised them a job? Makes it tough. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. And so what's the point for that college coach, whether we like to believe it or not, those players are their employees. They are the people who work for them that have to deliver to keep them employed. And that's a whole different way the, to, to see it. Now, I understand it. it's harsh and it's hurtful when we're talking about disappointing a 15, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old. And it's especially hard when that's your daughter who you love enough that you would give them your heart in a heartbeat if you needed to to save their life. It's painful. But I think sometimes we've got to take a step back and start to think about you know, that college athletics is bottom line success driven and if you're a coach and you're not successful enough your job's in jeopardy or your and if not even losing your job is at stake certainly getting a better job or getting a raise or 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 having long-term job security is so um so again just a little food for thought um so the the verbal commitments aren't binding um, and so there's some reasons for you to be thinking about it. And we just want you to be thinking about it with, with, clear, um, with a clear mind and, and a clearer picture of what that all means. So, um, so the last one I've got for you um, on the presumed negatives and the, the reasons why people are so anti-early recruiting, that it's heartbreaking to tell a young player that she's just not good enough to play at whatever school. So we've talked about Florida a lot today, so we'll just say, how can you possibly tell some young player that she's not good enough for Florida? Wow. I know that makes it tough, too. Um, or Georgia. Or still, yeah. you know, pick any one of the schools, you know, or Oklahoma, any one of the schools that was playing in the College World Series last year. And, and it's great for us to have those uh, – inspiring dreams to to make it to that point but there's really very few athletes that are going to get those opportunities and it's a it's a very special thing if you do that's it's really awesome and amazing to to get to that point to to play at that level and to be at a school or an institution like that um but it's not not reality for you know 99 percent of the softball players out there and to have to tell them that that's not likely going to happen when they're that young um, shouldn't mean that they should feel bad or or stop working hard or um, not continue that journey or that dream. But uh, it is it is tough. It's a tough sell. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's a tough sell on several fronts. Number one, because I think that the vast majority of people who are close to players, parents travel ball coaches, high school coaches, either are too close to it to see the truth or they care too much about the player to be the dream crusher. They don't want to be the one that has to, you know, drop the hammer of reality on, you know, a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old. So I understand why that's a painful thing, uh, but I think there's a flip side to this whole thing too. I think it is very difficult for somebody to look at a 6th grader, 7th grader, 8th grader and say, "Well, you're probably not SEC or Big 12 or or Pac-12 caliber. And that's hurtful and hard to hear, but if it's the truth, 
at some point in time, I think knowing the truth is a powerful thing. You know, we do our assessment program uh, through Fast Pitch Prep so that uh, Coach Don and I can give some honest feedback from a college coach's perspective to players about the kinds of schools that are a good fit for them and that would match up with them athletically. You know, when you take the uh, ACT um, or the SAT, you know, every player in America or every student in America probably walks in there hoping that their score is going to be high enough that they can go to Stanford or MIT or Harvard or Yale. But a month later, you get the letter in the mail that says, um, well, at this point in time, your scores would merit you looking at the following schools. You can get into school X, but you cannot get into school Y. Boom. Is it hurtful? Is it harsh? Is it painful? Of course it is. But you know what? It's real. It's true. And here's the flip side of it, that if players know at a younger age that some of those schools might not be realistic, doesn't mean that they can't keep chasing that dream. It doesn't mean they can't keep working for it. But it also should give them some perspective so that maybe – they have an idea of what it is that they do need to really work on if they want to work their way up the food chain. But it also gives them some realistic understanding of where they fit in so that maybe they can target other schools that are a better fit for them. Um, you know, the, the reality of that situation is, is a harsh one, but I think the truth is always the truth. And, and here's the flip side of, of where I think the end of early recruiting is going to create a problem. So now we have kids that are 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th graders finding out that they might not be what it takes to play at a college World Series caliber program. Because as you mentioned before, um, you know, 99% of the softball players in America probably don't fit the profile of those schools. And it might even be more than that. It might be 99.9%. But sure. it's a very, very small number of players are the kinds of players that can play at Oklahoma or Florida or, or you know, Oregon, those kinds of places. It's of Arizona. It's a very small percentage. And while it's harsh to find out when you're a ninth grader, a 10th grader, an 8th grader that you're probably not that player, what's going to happen here in a little bit is that kids are going to find out when they're juniors because they're not going to know where they fit in. They're not going to have gotten feedback from college coaches. They're not going to know where they don't have a shot or better yet, you know, places that are, a, a, are too much of a stretch or too much of a reach. And so because of that, we're going to have 99.9% of all players finding out on September 1st of their junior year that they're not good enough. If the phone's not ringing. And it's not going to ring, and now they're all going to be scrambling. So you think the pressure of trying to figure out what you're going to do when an eighth grader is harsh, what do you think it's going to be like when you find out that you and 100,000 other people all just found out that your dream is not going to come true, and now you've got to start scrambling? So it would be nice to know. I think it would be. And in some cases, I think it's very beneficial to know. And um, and again, I, I don't think that means that a player should give up on that dream, but I think that they should, you know, dreaming is, and being, and having hope is a beautiful thing. You know, it's like you and I, you know, we joke every week, you know, we, we both buy a lottery ticket every week hoping that we're going to strike it big, but that's not my retirement plan. Sure. You know, I, I don't spend every penny I have hoping to win the lottery because I'm absolutely sure that I'm going to win 
so I don't have any other fallback plan. I mean, I'm trying to you know plan for retirement like a normal human being would. Well, for college softball players or players that are potentially going to be college players, um, you know, to find out all of a sudden that uh, everybody bought a lottery ticket for the same lottery on the same day and one tenth of one percent of them are going to win, I think that's going to be a harsh. I mean, that's going to be an interesting storm to see as that unfolds. And you said with the assessment, uh, the assessment's nice in the fact that you're going to have an idea of what what level you should uh, expect to attain. Then you can focus all your your time and your resources on those schools and developing relationships with those coaches and um, researching those environments to find out what's most comfortable for you and your family uh, location-wise and and uh, you know, not miss out on on those type of opportunities just because we're chasing something that might not really be there, right? So, so anyhow, I think you know, I wanted to play the devil's advocate on some of these things tonight because I think that there's an awful lot of people bashing early recruiting, and I do think, and I agree that I think the idea of recruiting sixth and seventh graders is a extreme. stretch. It's yeah. extreme. Um, and because of that, now we've had a new pushback. So the, the last part of the discussion for tonight is at the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association, our national coaches group, which is predominantly representative of college coaches, but also represents travel ball, high school, um, and, and, and all the ranks, you know, vendors, you know, manufacturers. But it's, it's predominantly driven, and discussion there is driven by college coaches. And this year there was a movement a push and a discussion to um, change the model for recruiting and to drastically limit when a coach can talk to players to set a September 1st of their junior year um, starting line for the first time that a college coach can have any recruiting discussion with a potential player and um from what I read, because unfortunately I was not at the convention, but from what I read, it was nearly unanimous in support of the idea of changing uh, the rules and, and writing new legislation that would pretty much take us back to the early days of recruiting where you found players when they were juniors and then you signed them when they were seniors. So does this mean that uh, a college coach then gets a phone call from a sophomore can they take that phone call? Can they invite uh, they can, them on campus? They can campus? take that can phone they... call. They can invite them on campus, I believe, but they cannot talk about recruiting, cannot talk about where they would fit in, cannot offer them a scholarship. Are there repercussions? Oh, I'm sure there are, but that's a whole other part of this discussion. So so we have this near-unanimous vote. Um uh, and in that near unanimous vote, I'm guessing that the, that included uh, a bunch of high-powered coaches that are uh, continually Currently. being seen on the College World Series and winning national championships. And um, now I'll admit I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but then I was kind of dumbfounded because after I read you know, all this stuff about how we're going to fundamentally change we're recruiting, we're never going to do this again. We're stopping it immediately. I have since then seen a sixth grader and at least a dozen seventh graders on Facebook and other social media sites. Having done it. Committing. Yeah. And um, so my question is, if we're so committed to changing it, and, and I'm pretty sure that these coaches that are committing these sixth and seventh graders were part of that vote, why are we still doing it? 
don't want to miss out if everybody else is going to keep doing it so will we right so so i guess that right is only right if they make a rule that tells me what's right and wrong is only wrong if i'm going to get in trouble if i don't do the right thing in recruiting i'm confused <laughs> and i guess um because you know, I had a couple of thoughts. I said, so, you know, and I wrote a blog about this. Hopefully you've had a chance to look at it. Um, and uh, I would recommend if, you, if you're listening to this, hopefully you'll be interested enough to read my blog about the death of early recruiting. Um, not so fast, Buster. Um, and the questions I raised were, uh, so are we to assume that these players or parents just, you know, they're just said they're committing and, and nobody offered them anything really or yeah there was like a dream they they, they went went on a campus visit and in a in a dream they thought that somebody said hey we want you to come to school here and then they miraculously ended up in a picture in the dugout or with the statue or with the coaching staff or whatever it was everybody's all smiling and happy um, so it's rogue players and parents and and it didn't really happen it's a dream. It's like, uh, uh, what was that uh, uh, crazy show that was on TV uh, with the people on the stranded, stranded on the island, and all of a sudden, you know, the the grand conclusion was it was a dream, and it never really happened. Is that what was going on? I'm not so sure. What was that? I can't remember the name of that show. But anyhow, so that was my first thought. Then my second thought was, uh, well, maybe the college coaches didn't really mean it when they offered them a scholarship. It was just kind of like, well, you know. We're just saying, you know, I'm not really saying I'm offering you a scholarship, but if I did, maybe that's what happened, but if, I'm not so sure. If I was allowed to. If I was allowed to, which kind of comes back to your what are the repercussions when right. we do have a rule because I didn't really offer them a scholarship. We were just talking hypothetically seems like a pretty reasonable defense to me that we're going to hear about at some point in time september of your junior year this might happen yeah and so then what it, it really dawned on me what's really happening um you ever gone fishing very rarely yeah, but, or yeah. hunting again rarely yeah well when you go fishing there's a season and I think, you know, like uh, in Wisconsin, where I lived most, most of my life, it started on April 1st and it ended on November 1st. And you know what happened on like October 15th? Everybody who could spent as much time on the lake as they possibly could because they wanted to catch every fish possible before the end of the season. Sure. And on hunting season, when it was deer season, that last day of the last weekend, everybody was in the woods at 6 o'clock on Sunday night because at 10 o'clock or whenever it was that the season ended, all those deer tags that they had, they had to throw away and they couldn't use them that year. So they were going to get a deer expired. no matter what before before the tag expired. So is this uh, last gasp, this mad rush the last gasp of the season so we all got to jump in the water and make sure we get our fish in the boat before the season ends well we're gonna have to end up with those repercussions so it just doesn't happen yeah so so anyhow i i'm i was excited to see that some honest discussion was had but here's my take on it i don't think early recruiting is going to really stop until the schools that believe they benefit from it believe they no longer benefit from it and i don't care whether there's rules or not because you know, if we're counting on coaches to turn in other coaches for violations i don't think that's ever going to happen not likely and if we're counting on parents to um be the ones to go to the ncaa and say well you know coach so-and-so made me an offer now they didn't really make me an offer but they were talking hypothetically 
I don't picture that's going to happen either. I think that uh, you know, right now, for whatever reason, and whether anybody wants to agree with it or not, there's a uh, bunch of very big programs that are very, very successful that think getting commitments from young players is good for them. And I think that's going to continue until it's not good for them anymore. I'd like to see statistics, too, of those that have, and I guess in a few years coming, we'll be able to see how many did commit early, how many did end up going to school at those institutions and um, and ended up staying because they were quality enough to, to help that school. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just going to say, I, I just hope I'm still alive when this sixth, <laughs> sixth grader gets to college. Right. Because that's six years from now. There you go. I mean, yeah. six years from now. So, anyhow. So, NFCA and, and coaches that were at the uh, NFCA convention, I'm happy that you had this discussion. Um, and I think it's amazing that you had such a strong response and such a strong vote. But if we meant it, why are we still doing it? And if we're counting on a rule to change us, and to, and to clean up this problem, I, I just don't know that I have faith in that. So um, I will tell you that I, th- I think early recruiting, as, as it has developed, is more bad than good, as we've discussed tonight. I don't think it's as terrible as everybody wants to believe, or many, many people want to believe it is. Um, but I'm going to tell you it's like a lot of other things. It's here to stay. What, what if we made it a little more binding where, where oh. they actually were, and they did have to pay for their scholarship and so forth yeah well the the one solution i had to this problem um and i've i've said this a hundred times in the last couple of years if we really want to slow recruiting down there's only one way to do it and you hit the nail right on the head the minute you commit is the day you sign end of discussion yeah and what that means is that if i'm a sixth grader and i commit to a school that day i sign a scholarship and you know what it means that just like a scholarship now if i sign the letter of intent i am legally bound to that school for at least one year and if a player knows that i think they're going to think twice because they know that that coach might not be there and if a coach knows that they are committing to that scholarship no matter what I don't think they're going to be as quick to, do to make that offer either. And so if we want to stop early recruiting, all this talk about deadlines and dates and all that kind of stuff is is nice. But the only thing that's going to really solve it is to put absolute harsh, and I mean harsh, consequences on the process of actually making that commitment. If a college coach knows they're committing to a kid six years from now with really no idea what they're going to be six years from now, I don't think they're going to do it. Nope. And and now it's okay because they can commit to that kid six years from now, and if she ends up being uh, a terrible player in five years, they're you know, just going to dump them. And if a kid doesn't like the school six years from now, they're just going to decommit. So let's put some teeth in it. If we do that, then I think everybody's going to take a step back and have to realize what they're going to, uh, what their next step, what what the right step will be. We'll clean it up for sure, no doubt about it. So so anyhow, there's our discussion on early recruiting. It's a very very popular topic. I'm sure we will touch on it again. As I mentioned during the uh, pod tonight. There are several other branches of this that uh, Don and I are going to get into with uh, um, what is a verbal commitment and a lot of other things about the recruiting process, which we think will be very interesting to you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Um, You can contact us at fastpitchprep at gmail.com, on Facebook, on Twitter, um, on our 
website, which is fastpitchprep.com, um, and use any of those tools as a way to reach out to us. Um, as an incentive, if you do uh, submit a question or a topic that we t- discuss on a future podcast, we would love to share with you a Fast Pitch Prep t-shirt that uh, you can wear proudly and, and help us spread the word. Um, because uh, we're, we're committed at Fast Pitch Prep to help train players and coaches to try to educate people to help this process uh, uh, and, and help this game grow. So, um, Don, you got anything else about early recruiting? Yeah, I think that was a great podcast. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for listening, and we'll look forward to hearing uh, speaking with you again soon. Have a good night. <laughs>